You are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus. I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's so good to have you. It's good to be back. I did not expect to be in LA. I was in Chicago yesterday. Were you supposed to get back today? No, I was supposed to head out to Miami. Ah, okay. And that got redirected. So I went down to Orange County, met some friends for a birthday party. And now I'm here doing Battle Ready. Whose birthday was it? Um, two of my friends, Ed Milet and Edwin Ariave. Oh, it's Edwin's birthday? Yeah. Is it today? Uh, last week, oh, okay. we celebrated them both on the same day. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. That's fun. That's mm-hmm. super fun. And I, I kind of met one of my um, radio heroes. His name is Jim Rome. He was a sports uh, caster. He, I listened to him every single day. What happened to Jim Rome? Because he was kind of the Stephen A. Smith of like the, he, the mid-2000s. He was Stephen A. Smith before there was a Stephen A. Smith. And uh, he had a moment where he called um, a pro football player from the L.A. Rams, Jim Everett, he called him Chris Everett because he said he was soft. He was faking going down instead of being tackled. And he ended up having him on this show. I think it's called Jim Rome is Burning. Rome is Burning. And he called uh, Jim Everett Chris to his face twice. And he said, if you call me Chris again, and he yeah. said, Chris. <laughs> and yeah. Jim went crazy in the booth, started tearing it up. Went became, WWE on his TV show. Went pretty violently aggressive. And Jim's career was basically... Um, over four season. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So anyways, so it was fun meeting him. It was great. Him. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. That's I can't, so I don't like Stephen A. Smith anymore. He just drives me crazy. Bothers me. You know, I thought he was better with Max. Max Kellerman. Kellerman. Ah, I mix, I miss Max Kellerman. I think sometimes. Wait, hold on. I don't want to go into sports. I don't want to go sports. No, but I, but it's about chemistry. Sometimes okay. we underestimate that our greatness is the result of chemistry we have with another person, just like battle ready, the chemistry I have with you. So if, what you're saying is that if you pull Stephen A. Smith and you have me booted off the show and I disappear one day, it won't be the same? I'm saying one of us is Max. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm Max. <laughs> oh, but I, I love Max Kellerman. It doesn't know. matter who you like more. I think it's who you are more. It doesn't matter. Okay, here we go. Right, here we go. So t- yesterday we did, uh, you, you got back from Chicago, but we mm-hmm. did the most recent uh, Q&A session as a part of the Art of Communication 10-week series. Mm-hmm. So... You, we launched this Art of Communication Masterclass course. Yes. Yes. And then it went bananas. It was so fun. People, people around the world got involved in this thing, which is so, so exciting. And you can still sign up, by the way. You can, no, no, not sign up. You can still buy it. That's right. That's you can right. go to theartofcommunication.org, right? Yep. The Art of Communication. Yes. The Arsha, but, 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 but. This is why I need it. You can go to the now Art you're of- sounding like President Biden. Now- <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Pastor Irwin! <laughs> Unnecessary. Oh, flagrant one. Flagrant one. <laughs> flagrant one. <laughs> Sorry. That was a technical foul. I don't you know where that came from. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Are you okay? Who hurt you today? You're turning red. It's hot in here. <laughs> All right, all right, let's go. Let's the, the art of communication.org. Okay, here's the thing. This is not a sales pitch. This is just the truth. We released six hours, six plus hours of right. communication course, masterclass, mm-hmm. where you're looking right into the camera, looking right at the person, talking through your theory of communication and mm-hmm. how to communicate at a masterclass level. Yeah. This is 40 years of your, 40 plus years of your experience condensed down into six plus hours. Yeah, and unwrapping principles of communication. Yes. So then on top of it, because you're a generous guy, you kind of sneak attacked everyone and you were like, I'm actually going to do 10 plus hours 
on in Q and A content, live one hour sessions with everyone who purchased the art of communication. So everyone who purchases art of communication right now, yes, they'll get to jump in on week four of the art of communication. Right. So uh, they've missed Q three live sessions, but you can get all that content. That's right. You can so you can pick it all that pick all that up, and then dive into the next seven or six live ones. And jump, still remaining. essentially it's a live yeah. Zoom. Yeah. And then they get to ask questions to mm -hmm. you in a pretty intimate setting. Yes, it's really wonderful. It's really wonderful. I think the people who have been a part of it have really found tons of value in it. So initially it was six plus hours. Now it's 10 plus hours. No, not 16 plus hours, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So if you, if, you, if you can, you know, the price might be however you feel about it, but we just ten, literally almost 10x the value, not literally. Yeah, and I wanted to make sure times, we under-promised and over-delivered. And so we did not use the 10 live sessions as a selling point. No. It was really as a way of saying, um, thank you for investing in yourself, for diving into this uh, content. And I want to make sure that the material that you're going through really gets into you and that you can optimize these skills and these principles in your own life. You have, and you have a community to process with because yeah. it gets you access to a Facebook, a private Facebook group. Yes. Which essentially everyone who, who has purchased the art of communication gets access to. People are posting their highlights. Mm -hmm. People are posting failure moments. People are posting <laughs> questions. People are answering them. It's actually really, really fun. I thought Facebook groups were just for moms. They're not. <laughs> They're, it's like a great community. I absolutely love it. So thank you for building it. If you are on this right now and you're like, I didn't know Erwin did an, a communication masterclass or I want to give to Bad Ready, don't. Well, do, but don't right now. Go and buy The Art of Communication at theartofcommunication.org. Do it now. We love you so much. All right. That was a good ad. All right, there you no? go. Yeah. Let's where do you want to start? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should. Tell us where you were. Oh, I was in Chicago. And by the way, I actually did the uh, live Q&A from Chicago. You did? Yeah, over at... Um, the campus of Willow Creek in Barrington, Illinois, outside of Chicago. A lot of controversy um, there. Uh, yeah, but uh, a lot of good there too. Yeah. And they they do these, um, what they call GSL, Global no, GLS Next events. They're Global Leadership Summit. And then they do these next events where people who join their large summit with maybe 120,000 people then are invited into these more precise leadership development sessions. And um, so five, 10,000 people will dive into this. It'll be live, by the way, May 5th. And okay. people can go to GLS next and sign up and, and get the interaction. I was there in a conversation with Ryan Holiday. Okay. Uh, and that event has been pre-recorded and it'll come out May 5th. And it's free and people just go and sign up and get it. Okay, so so, so talk Ryan to speaks me. for 30 minutes. I spoke for 30 minutes. And then I interview him for around 20 minutes. Okay. So, yeah. okay. So talk to me. So you were, what'd you learn? Who is Ryan Holiday? Uh, well, I wasn't really now. familiar with Ryan before. And, and so I started researching him and learning. He wrote a book called Ego is the Enemy, which is incredibly popular. And um, he wrote a book on um, stillness. I think it's uh, stillness is the key. And, or is it stoicism is the key? Uh, no, no. And he, he actually writes and speaks about stoicism. He, stillness is the key. Yeah. The he Daily goes, Stoic. Yeah. And, and so he has basically taken the teachings of Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and the Stoics of that era and translated them for his generation, for um, his audience. And Trust me, I'm lying. Because <laughs> he used to be a, a media 
like director, right? Like he a, was the marketing director for American Apparel, which oh. I wish I could have had a, an hour long conversation with him about that, but that wasn't the context of that environment. Okay. And uh, because so, I, I really did want to understand how do you take stoicism and apply it to one of the most corrupt fashion companies in modern American history. And, and how do you deal with that tension and, you know, how does that play out? But that wasn't the right environment for that conversation. So I just asked him <laughs> about uh, stoicism, about his own relationship to it, how he applies it to his uh, family and raising his kids. How does he apply it to um, his own personal uh, sense of intention and purpose and fulfillment? And uh, it was a great conversation. I really, I really liked him. I really enjoyed it. Cool. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there using the public forum to be negative, to be destructive, to spread hate. And here's a guy trying to help people live a more principled life, to live a more fulfilled life. And, and so I just really commended him for um, giving his life to try to make the world a better place. Talking about making the world a better place, Elon <laughs> Musk buys Twitter. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Elon Musk buys Twitter. $44 billion to take Twitter private. The media, social media, the people are going bananas. <laughs> yeah, I do going think it, nuts. I do think it's interesting that, you know, it ends up becoming a conflict between the left and the right. It's, it's not just about money. Right. And initially, Twitter is, uh, has too high of ideals to sell to Elon Musk. And, you know, they're looking for a white knight that will come and save them to keep it a more liberal platform. And uh, when they realize no white knight is coming and Netflix is tanking, uh, the, uh, the future of these kinds of platforms is not bright right now unless there's new insight, new innovation, new um, leadership. So I do think it's interesting that money in the end had a higher value <laughs> than protecting, quote, the ecosystem of Twitter. Right. The $44 billion dollars did speak. It did. <laughs> and, it and did. And Jack Dorsey comes out and says, I don't trust anyone more than Elon Musk it's to take care of this environment. Where just a week before, the whole board was saying, you can come to the board, but you cannot have any influence or any voice here. Right. So one, what happened? Like, did you have a, an ethical backroom conversation going, oh, all right, we, we believe in these principles, but we just hit the ceiling of how much our principles are worth. <laughs> Well, I hope, I mean, I, I can't imagine that their intentions were pure in this situation. $44 billion makes it very complicated. But they at least upheld their duty to the stockholders. Yes. They took the offer. Now they're getting bought out. They're getting paid out. Mm -hmm. So with that, there's been a lot of backlash. There's, Elon is very polarizing. <laughs> he, you know, and then it's funny because it's like, Elon does this, then everyone's talking about Elon, and then everyone's making fun of all the people who are talking about Elon. It becomes this like, you know, it, you, they, it's all the people who do Robin Hood or invested in the AMC <laughs> thing, and then people who like Elon Musk. And it's like, they try to make fun of kind of this young male demographic in the US, mm. but I really do think, it's like, how do you get away from this conversation? <laughs> like, it's, it's one of the most aspirational things. He creates an extra car company. He's trying to go to space. He builds reusable rockets. He creates the boring company. He makes flamethrowers for the apocalypse. <laughs> hey, the greatest compliment I ever gotten. My man is an American hero. Was when the, uh, I was called the Elon Musk of Christianity. Were you? Uh, I Who? was. Self-proclaimed? <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> Quote him. No, that would make me Kanye. <laughs> I am a genius. 
<laughs> and, uh, but uh, no, it was when I was speaking at a global conference somewhere. Okay. And uh, I thought I, 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 I did not confirm or deny. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just said thank you. But it's really interesting <laughs> yeah. because, you know, I uh, someone sent me a DM and it's Sean King, who's kind of like the political activist. Sean King sent you a DM? Not Sean King. Oh. Someone sent me a, a, a DM. Did I explain that badly? I did. Oh, yeah. Someone sent me a DM of Sean King's Twitter post okay. that he had posted. I think screenshotted it and posted it on Instagram as well. And it talks about how um, I want to actually, can I read it real quick? Sure. Of course. I just got to pull it up. One second. Sean King does it for the numbers, just so we're clear. He does it for the numbers, not for the political activism. He's he's a total sellout, as am I. <laughs> as am I. You can um, buy battle ready merch now. I'm just kidding. So he says, so Sean King says this. At its root, Elon Musk wanting to purchase Twitter is not about left versus right. It's about white power. The man was raised in apartheid by a white nationalist. He's upset that Twitter won't allow white nationalists to target slash harass people. That's his definition of free speech. Uh, and then the caption underneath the post was, I trended worldwide today because of this tweet. It's true. No, just because you trend worldwide doesn't make something true. It, uh, it actually, the less true something is, the more likely it is to become viral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, because you have to be acerbic, you have to be controversial, you have to be violent in your thoughts to create a lot of viral uh, momentum. And Sean King knows that if he can keep the narrative in the central issue of white versus black, he stays at the center of the conversation. If the conversation is about something else, he becomes essentially irrelevant. And so it has to become about racism. And frankly, everything in the world isn't about racism. And anyone who's at all objective needs to realize that this is more economic. This is, you know, and, uh, right. and um, to call Elon Musk a racist, well. But you truly believe which aspect, what element of it is purely economic? Because I do think this is a left, I think it's the opposite of Sean King's statement. I don't think it's about white power. I think it is about the left and the right. And I think yeah. the convergence of uh, this conversation around free speech and is yes. free speech free? Well, it's not. It costs $44 billion. <laughs> to, un to, to break Twitter free of its uh, leftist, yeah. liberal, socialist perspectives well, where the, they yeah. ban presidents and people that they don't like, but they keep bots and, like, and political misinformation. Yeah, what's interesting is, is that MSNBC came out with a whole clip about the danger of Elon Musk owning Twitter. Yeah. And everything they described is exactly what Jack Dorsey and Twitter has done. <laughs> 100%. MSNBC's Ari Melber was mocked on Twitter after the beat. Host questioned uh, Musk's motives and warned that Twitter could now be used to censor members of a specific political party and influence elections, something that has long been a point of concern for conservatives and Republicans lawmakers with its past left-leaning management. Mm -hmm. So basically what he's saying is uh, Twitter's going to start doing what Twitter's already been doing, but doing it for the <laughs> other side. Yeah, and I actually, I expect Elon to be much more of an economist. See, if you only protect the right, you only get half of the economic potential of Twitter. Right. If you only protect the left, you only get half of the economic potential. If you actually open it up and let it become a true platform for dialogue, debate, even controversy, you get 100% of the people. Well, absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I think some of it is more economic 
I, I think Elon's looking at it going, oh, there's so much potential here. If we just opened it up both ways, at, we could double our value. What, what, it's, it's McDonald's serving impossible burgers, right? Yeah. It's going like, like just because you don't eat meat doesn't mean you don't eat McDonald's. It's like, yeah. we want everyone. It, but everybody loves the fries. But I think yeah, but everyone does love the fries. They have the best fries. I do think we're in this kind of interesting crossroads, right? He buys Twitter. I hate Twitter. My friends who worked at Twitter know I hate Twitter because it became this like this agended toxic like cesspool yeah. of both sides. Like there was just no monitoring there. And not that there needs to be censorship, but there does need to be some form of like uh, maybe duality in this conversation. Or it, it, it just felt like it was singular. It was like if you weren't super left, super LGBTQ plus. Um, pr promoting or like or or or, or y you or like super COVID vaccine forward, you got banned and you got hated. Oh, yeah, you got swarmed. I mean, they would yeah. just send tons of people after you. And so, I mean, I still remember the day that you told me to get off of Twitter. More, I came over and deleted Twitter from my account. Yeah, because it was so destructive to my own uh, life experience, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it 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 just felt like I was just in a sewer all the time. And you couldn't talk about anything meaningful. Everything was always brought back to an agenda. Always. And even the people yeah. who argue on Twitter, it's always old clips of something you did or something else you've done or X, Y, Z. I'm like, if you want that list, just hit me up. I got you. I'll help you out. <laughs> so I think we should... We could all agree that Twitter has not been a healthy space. It so has not it's been. It's not like... Twitter is the social media version of church. Yeah. <laughs> Church lady, judging, condemning everybody. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Church lady. And so I'm going, wait a minute. Elon Musk didn't buy something that was pure. Elon Musk just bought something that was polluted. He just pulled something out of the garbage disposal. And, uh, and he has a very inventive way of transforming things. So I'm going, look, he created Tesla to clean up the environment that humans were polluting. And I hope he takes Twitter and does the same thing. <laughs> I hope. But he may actually add to the pollution. He may just say, okay, we can't stop the pollution. Everybody pollute. <laughs> I, I, I think here's the interesting thing. Because, you know, a huge part of the conversation is, like, I, I saw, I got a huge argument with a friend that was like, uh, I posted something and said, Elon Musk could have spent 44, I, I could have found 44 billion other things he could have spent his money on. My response was, you can't do much with $1. But you can do a lot when there are 44 billion of them. Mm -hmm. And also, one, w w what is it to you that he decides to spend 22 billion of his own? Because he spent, he paid for half of it, right? Yeah. Who's his, who's his partner? A bank. Let me find out. A bank. <laughs> a bank. <laughs> yeah, um, Nobody's yeah. like, what is it to you? Yeah, he, it's, it, it's, it's less than 10% of his net worth. Yeah, here's the thing. Here's a good rule of thumb. If you haven't been able to make um, 1 million. Yeah. You probably don't have the insight to how a person should spend $44 billion. And right. because people act as if somebody gave Elon that $44 billion <laughs> or, that's, or that somehow uh, he stole it. And, and that's one of the things I, I had to address is that creating value and creating a product that people buy that allow you to have $44 billion is not stealing. No. It's actually creativity. It's actually generating economy and money always works better when it's moving economy is when they become static that's when you have inflation this and that's is, when you have depressions this is the greatest thing that could happen 
He just moved $44 billion that he could just left in a bank somewhere. Well, so here, if I'm, if I could be mistaken, but Jack Dorsey's not with Twitter anymore, right? He's, he's off running Block, which is the new version of Square. Yeah, he's, he stepped down. He stepped down. So really, Twitter's run, I'm sure by a new CEO. Who did they? I'm not sure who they appointed, but by a board that owns less than 1% of, I think, the net worth of Twitter, mm-hmm. or the value of Twitter. So really, Twitter's being controlled by people who have massive agendas, but have yeah. almost no value. And if it increases its, almost no value if it increases in its expansion, mm-hmm. I guess to some degree, but they're making a lot of money being paid to be on the board. Yeah, I'm going, now, why do we think that board is more ethical and more trustworthy than Elon Musk. I think Jack Dorsey coming out and putting his his cosign behind yeah. Elon Musk is the greatest example of him going, the board is not as good as you think it is. Yeah. Them running Twitter, it'll be better for a singular person to have uh, his ideals. And a lot of the, the, the feedback that I've been watching on like, uh, like the VC podcasts I've listened to are if you can get Elon Musk's engineers, his AI engineers mm-hmm. inside of Twitter, they can fix a lot of the, the bot situation, the trolling situation, mm-hmm. kind of this like negative feedback funnel that they've become mm-hmm. and actually bring to the surface really healthy and like positive conversations. So I'm really excited to see what Elon does with Twitter. Yeah. And, and one of the great, I think to me, almost like disclosures is if your idea is a principle yes. and not an agenda. Yes. You don't care who accomplishes it. And so if your idea is um, climate change and protecting the environment, you don't care that a guy who, quote, is on the right creates Tesla. But he wasn't even invited to the White House. Tesla was not even spoken about when they're dealing with um, when Biden electric invited cars. Electric, yeah, when, electric car companies. When President Biden, he's, he's focusing on Ford and GM who are light years behind Tesla. So that tells me it's not a principle, it's actually an agenda. 100%. And the same with Twitter. If the principle, if the ideal is free speech, then you shouldn't be angry that Elon Musk is taking it over. You shouldn't care whether it's a person on the left or right. You should care about whether the person advances the principle of free Mm -hmm. speech, not um, protecting your speech and then closing down the speech of a person who disagrees with you. And we need to acknowledge right now in our nation that free speech means you're allowed to say anything that's liberal. Mm. And whatever is questioned is anything on the right. And and one of the great challenges is that the fringes always find a way to be heard. And Joe Rogan, who is super conservative, uh, he's a fringe voice that MSNBC and CNN don't think should be heard. They feel he doesn't have a right to have an opinion. And uh, and so now you have this elitist ideology. We have the only perspective of who should be heard. Just because millions of people are following Joe Rogan doesn't mean he should be heard. So here's what's crazy. CNN couldn't get 10,000 people on CNN+. Plus. Joe Rogan couldn't reduce to 10,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and yet CNN will still believe that they're the experts who should be giving people their perspectives on reality. It's insane. Okay, so here's the thing. Spotify says its premium subscribers rose 15% this last year from 180 million subscribers to 182 million after uh, Spotify deleted was, twen- was, was trending on Twitter last year because of the whole Joe Rogan mm-hmm. debate thing. That wasn't last year. That was end of, it was the fall of last year, right? 
which is just absolutely insane that now the people have spoken. Yeah. CNN, Fox News, MSNBC don't dictate what is true. They don't dictate what is real. They don't dictate what is factual. Uh, but I will say this. Fauci has established that COVID is over. The Woo! pandemic is over. Pandemic is over. He also said you could catch AIDS by being in the same room. So, you know, well, he doesn't have the track record of being perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't cancel people here. So we just want to have a conversation about what is true and what's not true. Yeah, I just, it's interesting that I was just reading how the CDC was upset about the judge who um, overruled mask mandates on airplanes, airplane travels. Yeah. And uh, the White House was saying they were disappointed in the judge uh, that they're not scientists, they should not be overriding the CDC. And then in the blink of an eye, the weekend passed, and now Fauci is saying the pandemic's over. I so the judge was right. I hope that man <laughs> never pays for a thing in his in, the rest of his life. Who, Fauci? No, no, no. I, I, I think hope, the judge was a woman. I hope every place that Fauci walks into makes him pay double. <laughs> double, dog, for me having to breathe and breathe twice through this mask. <laughs> no, the judge needs, needs free flights forever. He I think should, the judge was a woman. I, when I say he, I mean everyone. <laughs> if you can decide your pronouns, I can say he for everybody. U.S. District Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel. Oh, Amazing. And she Thank basically you, said the mask mandate was unconstitutional. She said it exceeded its legal powers. Yes. Which has been so obvious because the government for two years has exceeded its power. Uh, the governor of California has exceeded his power. The mayor of Los Angeles has exceeded his power. We've become a nation that has become comfortable with elected officials exceeding their power. And if we're not careful, we're going to become a nation that becomes comfortable with becoming powerless as citizens. It's a big statement. Okay, so on your airplane uh, on Monday or yesterday mm -hmm. when you flew in, did, did you wear a mask? I did not, and I was confused because I got to uh, the L uh, LAX and some people were wearing masks and some were not. Then I got to Chicago O'Hare and some people were wearing masks and some were not, but the employees were not. So I used the employees as my like- um, Your excuse? Oh, well, my code. Like, you know, yeah, I was trying yeah. to decode the room and yeah. uh, because like, I, I've been a person, I, I've, even when I didn't want to wear a mask, I wore a mask out of respect for other people. And, um, and because I realized people were genuinely afraid and, um, and I was, you know, trying to be as cooperative and, and considerate as possible, but I'm so done wearing masks and, uh, I was so happy that that regulation has been removed and and uh, and all the science seems to point to the fact that the masks are almost irrelevant in um, having any kind of effect on a, on the pandemic instigated by COVID. So, um, yeah, so, I just find it's odd. So I know? told you so. So I told you so. <laughs> or maybe I don't want to say that I told you so, but you know I was right. It's not that I told you so, but maybe maybe we talked about it for two years about how the fact that like I'm a little I'm a little frustrated because mm -hmm. you don't go anywhere now. They don't ask anything about vaccines. They don't ask anything about masks. And Novak Djokovic is going to be allowed to play in Wimbledon without being vaccinated. Yeah. Yes. And even though athletes and and employees lost their jobs because they refused to be vaccinated, so I guess you have to be the best in the world and I mean, to he hold lost the 20, line. He has fifteen million dollars in Australia. Yeah. Something like that. Well, in Australia, I, I lost so much money. Because not having him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here we go, right? Like uh, two years later, we realized a big thing 
that uh, this the, trusting the science is an interesting statement. How do you trust the science when it's been proven to be wrong? And how do you trust the science when science is being politicized? And for me, is it science if it's political? Uh, no. And that's what is it? What does it become? What is it? It becomes politics. It becomes propaganda. Yeah, and you know, I I just think that the reality is that. Um, we sh vac the vaccine should have never been mandated. People should not have been losing their jobs because of it. Um, and it, it, there's just something there. And I, I'm vaccinated, you know, and so I'm not saying that as a person who was never vaccinated. Um, I just think there. I think I just think there's so many things that were upside down. You protect the the vulnerable. You protect the person who has high risk, and you protect the person who's afraid. You, you don't force the person who's healthy and force the person who's has basically a zero percent chance of of having a serious effect of covid you don't force a person to get a vaccine and um and you guys go yeah but, but they're they stupid did. what are you talking about but they did they did they right? did no, they we, did force the, yeah they I mean, forced me to get a vaccine i had to get a vaccine because i live in los angeles and i couldn't go anywhere you couldn't could, travel yeah. couldn't go into restaurants couldn't do anything yes i know so what do we do now they made me do something with my body the only way to get out of it was to lie, to forfeit, to, to forge, yeah. to, to be unethical, right? So Yeah, and it's, it's um, I, I, I guess I'm more concerned with um, the established pattern that now Americans are comfortable with. Yeah. That could actually come back and have a greater effect in the future. Yeah. And so we'll, I just think we need to be aware. I just think we need to keep our eyes open um, whenever you relinquish your freedom, you become more comfortable not being free. Yeah. And you just need to be aware of that. Yeah. All right. Let, let's uh, move on. What, we, what else we got? We've talked about Elon. We've talked Twitter. We've talked about uh, Fauci. We talked about the pandemic being over. Yay, the pandemic is over. I feel safer. The world is better. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, good to know. And uh, that on this weekend, uh, around April 26th, the, the pandemic came to a close. You know what? I don't feel safe. <laughs> you know, I don't feel safe being around a bunch of people who listen to the government that easily, who gave up all their freedom that quickly. I feel like we live in the most unsafe America that we've ever lived in. We lived in we live in the society where now the government has realized there's a switch. We tell them something, they do it. Yeah. But one other thing that's happened in our country out of this is that our nation has been forced to be pushed to extremes. We have extreme right and extreme left, and we don't have an intelligent middle. Um, I, I, I mean, I said this way before the pandemic, I said this 40 years ago, extremism is a form of stupidity that when a person moves toward extreme liberalism or they move toward extreme fundamentalism, it's the lowest level of thinking. And it is not the result of intellectual uh, debate, um, dialogue, or processing. Uh, it's, it takes a lot more intelligence to live in the middle and to see the benefits, to see the, the attributes of each side's position and integrate them into a better solution. I, I, I do think liberals need to be very, I think liberals should be very worried right now because they did the best that they could for two years to control the United States and it only worked for two years. Now they've lost their primary form of talking trash Twitter, they're going to lose the election in the next election, which is which sucks because it should be about the best candidate, not about the antithesis of the last candidate. Yeah. But there is no way that they're going to come up with a, a candidate that the world, that the U.S. trusts mm -hmm. uh, on a public forum. And 
you have people who now disregard science because science is an important element in our like in our p- political freedom yeah, that may in be our one government. of the worst things that's happened is that, how, what do you mean trust the science the science lied to us for two years and then it became a political agenda I, i'm very i'm very nervous for the left because the left show that they can use all of their power and it only lasted for two years and now all of their fundamental institutions are being bought up by people and i do think that when all of like when judges are ruling hey, it doesn't make sense to wear masks on planes anymore. They're looking at data. They're looking at research. They're looking at what is actually going on. And they're, thank God for the judiciary system because that is the, one of the foundations that has not been, hopefully has not been prostituted out to like political agenda, mm-hmm. political agendas. I do feel very nervous for the liberals because, and I, I'm always nervous with conservatives, always nervous because they got to work on themselves. Yeah, what I'd say is that um, if you're a conservative and you have really good ideas, you gotta kick the white supremacist off your bus, <laughs> like you know, eradicate I, it. Yeah, I'm not saying that you invited him on the bus, but you let him on the bus and you just figure, well, I have an empty seat. Yeah, they might as well sit there. You need there. to check IDs. Yeah, yeah because uh, I'm just telling you, not a single conservative idea can be trusted as long as you allow yourself to be identified with white supremacy. Yeah, but now you have black supremacy and you have white supremacy and you have all of these like you have all of these racial divides in almost mm-hmm. every like element and every and every sector of our um, of our society now and it's become i think more volatile than than ever before i've i've never claimed being latin more than i ever have like in my entire <laughs> life in the last 2 years but I, I do think it says something about where we're at right and like and trust is a huge huge issue that i think we yeah. have with media i do do you think the media will survive this well i think media will once again be reinvented Right. And yeah. it, I, I think that's what's happening, actually. Media is being reinvented. I think we used to yeah. have ABC, NBC, and CBS, and it was reinvented when cable came. Right. You, you know, and uh, and cable was seen as non credible news. And and then cable became the news. And now podcasts and uh, and rogue for- sources of information are seen as not credible, but they are becoming the new source of news. Right. And the reality is that the way that media is is communicating to society is always evolving. There was a time with newspapers. You may not remember this, but I used to get the newspaper every day. I love newspapers. And, the guy who uh, who the guy who had my house before me had the Wall Street Journal, and so it gets delivered every Sunday. Yeah. I'm grateful for him. I loved holding the newspaper, turning the pages, yeah. and and I was sad when the newspapers disappeared. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and because you could get your news so fast on on television. Yeah, and and then when you have you know CNN went twenty four hours a day, and yeah. Ted Turner really transformed a lot of the news cycles. And um, I, I one you can't be afraid in the evolution of information, and uh, and you can't act like the past form is the only credible form. Right. You know the yeah. the, the the future has credibility too. <laughs> and you have to begin to realize that you can't stop progress um, from um, happening. And just like, you know, Blockbuster was an innovation and it changed the way we watch television and film. And now it's gone. It's crazy. And Netflix was a massive innovation and it changed the way we watch television and film. And right. now it's disappearing. Yeah. And, um, and there's a part of me that's always a little sad when I lose something I've loved. Right. And, but there's also part of me that's super exciting because I keep going, what's coming? What's right. the innovation that's going to make yeah. the world better? And um, look, you know, the, the way to, if you think Joe Rogan is wrong, hmm. 
The way to solve it is not to turn off his mic. See, that's socialism. That's an authoritarian dictatorship. The best way to solve it is put someone on a mic who's more intelligent, more thoughtful, and has better solutions. Yeah. Look, if your idea is that good, then trust your idea in the public forum. So speaking of Twitter and liberals and this entire conversation, there was an episode a couple days ago um, in Michigan. So a Michigan congresswoman said a prayer to open up a legislative session where she basically prayed. She said, across the country, we're seeing in the news that our children are under attack, forces that desire things for them other than what their parents would have them see and hear and know. And three Democratic legislators walked out of the session. One of them has now become a little famous. Her name is Mallory McMorrow, because the legislator who prayed sent an email blast out saying that she was grooming and sexualizing children by basically supporting overthrowing the so-called Don't Say Gay bill in Florida. And then Mallory McMorrow went viral. Aaron, you were talking to us about this earlier for her speech about how, even though she's straight and white, a suburban mom, she's a Christian, um, that learning about those things in school doesn't mean kids are gonna be taught to feel bad or to hate themselves. And she wants every child in the state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. And she raised a quarter of a million dollars in less than 24 hours from people who supported her statement. And that's, in a sense, just the power of, of okay. Twitter. Okay, hold on, hold on. So much information. So if I if I support that bill, I can raise quarter of a million dollars in, in overnight? If you support overthrowing it. Look, guys, I've changed my opinion on how I feel about this bill. Hit me with the cash app, Aaron C. McManus. President Biden called her personally and thanked her for saying a lot of what needed to be said. Okay, I'm just oh. going to go on the limb here. I'm joking, by the way. I don't have cash app. Uh, I'm going to go on the limb. You know how I just said that if conservatives are going to get their ideas, even if they're good, into the... Um, you got to kick races off the bus, as you said. Yeah, you got to kick white supremacists off the bus. Right. Liberalism has been hijacked with a dangerous view um, of children belong to the government and not to their families. Hmm. And um, I don't, I don't know hardly any Democrat who thinks that teaching sexual identity and sexual orientation to a five-year-old is healthy. Yeah. In fact, I was just talking to uh, Joe Smith, his, his son Zai. I think Zai's seven years old. Yeah, he, he is. And in school, they taught them about leprechauns on St. Patrick's Day. Mm. And he goes, I didn't even know they taught him about leprechauns. <laughs> yeah. And he came home and was really upset in the morning because he didn't have any money because they were taught that if you capture the leprechaun, you can take his money away or whatever. It's like and a folklore he, myth. Yeah. yeah. And because uh, leprechaun comes, I guess, and steals money from your house. And and Zai was upset, Dad, you didn't cap capture the leprechaun. And Joe's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Which is kind of funny because, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Smiths, you know, Joe and, is black and he's not Irish, but now it's like this Irish mythology right. that's coming into his family. <laughs> and uh, and Zai's upset. He goes, no, my son's seven. He doesn't even know they're not leprechauns. Right. He gets taught in school there are leprechauns. He's upset with me that, that I didn't capture the leprechaun. Yeah. Do I want someone telling my son that 
Um, no, no, he doesn't know whether he's a boy yet. Uh, no, no, you, your sexual yeah. identity is is not established. It's a fluid. You might be a girl. Yeah. And uh, he goes, I don't want teachers telling my children that um, they don't know who they are. Hmm. And my son doesn't even know there are no leprechauns. <laughs> Yeah. How is he possibly going to be able to have a conversation about something so complex about sexual orientation, sexual identity? Is it complex though? Because it's like you know, I was talking to you know uh, two of our friends who who they were teaching their daughter like what her body parts are, right? And at like one and a half years old, and I was like, that's is that a thing? And they're like, it actually helps them understand that if they were ever to be touched in an inappropriate place, they know which body parts they were touched in, mm -hmm. uh, like, like self-awareness and being right. safe and this whole thing. And I was like, so that's interesting, right? Because you're teaching a one and a half year old uh, what body part they have. Mm -hmm. It's pretty simple. You have the body parts, you are a certain thing. You have, you have another body part, you're, you're, you're a different thing. And it's, it's actually very biologically simple that we've made it very complicated with, with, with identity, uh, w whether it's identity issues, whether it's a massive uh, mental health issue, whether it's a sexuality issue, I'm not entirely sure which one of them it is, and I don't want to belittle it, but I, but it's a serious issue. But I don't think it's as complex as people are trying to make it. Yes, I think it's very simple. You don't teach sex to children. You teach sex to pubescent teenagers when they are dealing with sexual. What is it like the sexual puberty of like it, it, their, their body parts are turning on for the first yeah. time? No, I was in sixth grade in sixth grade, man. I didn't want to talk about those things, but I'm glad that I did. But I think any earlier would have been uh, traumatizing and and uh, I wouldn't have been capable of understanding like the 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 full complexity of the situation. Yeah, I just want to say there's a fine line and it is a dangerous line between being sensitive to a child um, who maybe actually genuinely has like identity struggles right. and grooming children to become sexually fluid and ambivalent about their biology. Yeah. It's not complicated. I mean, I, I think it's so odd when I hear language like, um, your doctor guesses that you're a boy or a girl. Doctors aren't guessing no. whether you're a boy or a girl. Where did you hear that? I, I saw, I actually watched this conversation and somewhere in social media where that was the line that a teacher used. And uh, and I'm like, wait a minute. Because uh, I guess there was this TikTok uh, space where all they did was um, post what um, teachers were saying about what they did in school. And they were not editing it or distorting it. They, and you had so many teachers going, I love talking to the children about my sexuality. I love talking to them about the fact that there's you don't know whether you're you're a boy or a girl. I love like and this whole space in TikTok has been really controversial. I don't go on TikTok, so I'm not familiar with it. Um, but um, that all they were doing is posting in one place what all these people were posting themselves. And um, and I'm going, look, look, my children were my responsibility to raise. They're not the government's responsibility to raise. Right. It is a communist mentality that your children belong to the society and to the government. A part of what has made our nation actually healthy and strong is this idea. I know it's an antiquated idea of a nuclear family and that mom and dads raise their kids and they teach them values and ethics. And um, 
Okay, so yeah. yeah, you're dancing around the heart. You're dancing around it. No, I'm not dancing around. I it. think so a little bit. That's okay. No, what I'm saying is that um, this is a part of why even really strong liberal ideas are now being uh, seen with suspicion, and they're not going to have an impact because anyone should know that a school should not be telling a four-year-old what their sexual orientation or, or what their sexual identity is. You should not be talking to a four or five, six-year-old about sex in school, period. Right. So, and the moment that becomes the agenda, it it hijacks actually more important policies and principles. Yeah, so I, I have a friend who's doing a, they were talking to me this, this last weekend or two weekends ago. They're doing a fundraiser at this community that I'm a part of and they're like it's it's a fundraiser to fight the don't say gay bill, and and but that's I, not what the bill is. That's just you know, the I, marketing. I, exactly. Go against the bill. I, I said I said okay, hey, I'm up for anything for you guys to do that. It's none of my business what what happens and what doesn't happen. But uh, they were all just like, yeah, of course we'll do it. And I'm like, interesting. Did you read the bill? And they're like, no. Like, did did you should just hit um what is it like Apple F and see if it doesn't if it says don't say gay anywhere in the bill <laughs> before you put on an event says don't say gay but the, the reality is that like uh it isn't even about being gay anymore it's about the fact that if you can brand something good enough you can destroy or shoot down or build up almost anything in the world mm -hmm. and ryan holiday knows that more than anything anyone uh, right like like, he's made stoicism popular stoicism popular but his media his marketing book is about uh what is it i'm lying uh he it is a, trust me, I'm lying, uh, a playbook <laughs> for the dark arts of exploiting the media. And it's like, we're watching that in real time across our entire nation mm -hmm. of how to exploit the media, how to create agenda, how to propagate. And you know what? And how to alienate people even more? Because I think it's, if they were, if they put as much money uh, as they raised for that congresswoman into like having healthy debate and discourse around these topics and why these things are important, I think there would be so much, much there would be such a better outcome People would learn, mm -hmm. but really it's about this continuance of marketing and branding and destroying something that could like completely destroy our society one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just think we're, uh, we're toying with the mental health of an entire generation of children. Yeah. And we need to be careful. You need to be careful. Um, that's not how I wanted to end, but anything light we want to hit? Do you not like that topic? I think it's an important topic. I think so too. Do you guys, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah. Tess? I think it's really important. I love what you said, yeah. Pastor Owen. I have, a, I have a question. Yeah. Why does a minority subject, like, you know, Pastor yeah. Owen, you said, there's yeah. a fine line to being sensitive to a child with identity struggles yeah. and grooming children overall. So this is a very small, small demographic of people who are even impacted by this internal struggle why for it to be valuable or seen as valued does a minority conversation have to be brought to the majority this would probably be less than one percent right less than three percent for yes. sure of the of, of the mass population yeah yeah struggling with this idea yeah and yet we're essentially risking the indoctrination of tens of millions of children because of 
something that's so specific. And I'm not saying it's not valuable. It's valuable, but it's specific. It's under 1%, under 2% mm-hmm. of children are dealing with this situation. Mm-hmm. But now we're making this on, on the 100%. How is the one, is the ironic is, the, is that there was such a, a backlash with the Wall Street movement that 1% controls 35% of the yeah. national wealth. But how is it that under 1% mm. controls the majority of the conversation of sexual identity in America? And that's exactly what's happened. Ooh, is that good. less than one percent of people are controlling the entire cultural, social conversation in our country? Mm. And if you have any any position that conflicts with uh, that one percent view, you're seen as um, evil or insensitive or um, um, or just an endless number of different <laughs> words that would describe us. Yeah. And uh, and I want to say like, um, I. I think that we need to protect our children above our agendas. Yeah. See, I actually think that um, whether you, whether you think that um, children naturally grow up to be gay or environmentally grow up to be gay, and what I I think if you're a parent, you need to realize that. Those developmental years of two, three, four, five, and six, those are not the years to be talking about sexual identity. Those are the years to be talking about kindness and compassion and cooperation and learning and math and reading. And and um, look, if you want to deal with the issues of, hey, we want to make sure no one is mistreated, then teach children compassion. Teach them not to bully. Teach them to be accepting and loving. If that's really the agenda, and if the agenda is to create a new society where sexual identity is no longer a binary reality, there are no male and female, no boys and girls, that's a different agenda. See, I am for protecting children and creating environments where no one is bullied and everyone is loved and everyone is nurtured. I am not for creating a social agenda that eliminates the biological identity of male and female, boys and girls, men and women. And the exception is not the rule. And just because you acknowledge the rule, it doesn't mean that you need to mistreat the exception. Hmm. Does that make sense, Brooke? Yes. Okay, let's wrap this up. Okay. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining me on the Battle Ready podcast and me joining you. I love doing this together. This is one of the most special things that I look forward to each and every week. So thank you so much. Oh, it's good to be here. I know we dealt with some really heavy, intense issues today. Yeah. and But I think uh, we owe it to our listeners uh, to dive into these conversations and to um, address them the best we can. Absolutely. Okay, right. thank you for listening to the Battle Ready podcast. We love you so much. We're so grateful for you. Whether you agree with us or whether you disagree with us, thanks for listening. Uh, Check out the Instagram Battle Ready Podcast and check us out on TikTok. We are also hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. We we film this and we post this. Also, uh, rate and review this on Apple and you can review this and rate it on Spotify as well. So thank you guys so much. And next time I want to talk about me checking out that podcast last week that kind of turned around my mindset and maybe we can go into that stuff. Oh, that'd be fun. All right, see you guys next week. 